folks, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow countrymen, we're here, we're doing a brand new Always Be Watching podcast. The premise of this podcast, as you're well aware, myself, my companion, Chris Yates, companion, boy doesn't that sound romantic, uh, my companion Chris Yates, the two of us, we talk about the TV shows that we've been watching. And this week, we've been watching a heck of a lot of stuff, but look, we're not going to share everything we've been watching. No, we're going to keep some of it to ourselves. We've got to have some sort of boundary, some sort of personal space. But we will be talking about the 1978 movie, The Right Stuff. We're going to discuss the 2000 and, let's say, 18, 19 comedy Rami, which has just been, uh, it's just had its second season begin. And the hitting cinemas very soon, Trip to Greece. This is going to be a very big always be watching because we have the conclusion of our long running TV quiz before we reboot it and do a brand new quiz starting, I don't know, next week. We'll figure <laughs> that out. Anyway, folks, this is Always Be Watching. We'll be back after this theme song. Chris Yates, love of my life. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Dan. It's a pleasure to see your face as one of the few humans I still have interaction with. Yeah. and well, rest- Maybe once, once everything goes back to normal, I won't look forward to seeing your face quite so much. I was going to say restrictions have eased and yet, you know, who's still leaving the house? It's just not happening. <laughs> no, not me. Please <laughs> don't make me leave my house ever again. Yeah, I'm just impressed you put on a shirt. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you record in the daytime. I feel a bit uh, weird about it, but... We'll see how we go. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, uh, we've got a quiz. We've been doing this now for a number of weeks. Last week, there was some conjecture. You and I, we were like, should we finish this last week? Like, we didn't know if we were still doing the quiz. We didn't know if we'd hit the magical 100-question answer by that point. Anyway. No, we just weren't paying attention. Yeah. We weren't paying attention to the number of rounds we were doing. We weren't paying attention to who won those rounds with how many points. <laughs> like, you know, this, as far as quizzes go, this was not sale of the century. No. No. Even though I did have the Sale of the Century themed music last week, which I really enjoyed. You did. And I had it prepared to have some brand new theme music this week, but I did not prepare that. So you will probably once again have the Sale of the Century theme music. Anyway, as That's a bit of one. as some sizzle for the upcoming quiz that we'll be doing in just a couple of hours time. A couple of hours. This is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> in like 30 minutes of podcast time. Let me tell you. I've done the math. I've worked out that, yes, this is, in fact, the finale of the quiz. We've got the right number of quiz questions. We're going to hit magical 100 in this key quiz. And I've got some scores here. And my question to you, Chris, because we've done no pre-production on this, do you want to know what the scores are right now? Or do you want to leave it as, like, a reveal for the very end? Like Reveal. You... Later. Okay. So you don't want to know if I'm in with the chance? No. I'd rather not know. Okay. Hold tight. Unless you'd rather tell me. You look like you'd rather tell me. I don't know. I'm in two minds about it. But you know what? Here we are. This, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build some tension. Okay. For the quiz. So the way it's worked, if you're new to the podcast, each week we ask 10 questions of the other person. So one of us takes a turn every week. We've been doing this now over... How many weeks is that? 10 weeks? 100 years. 100 years. 110 <laughs> years. We've been doing this. And so basically, Chris will ask 10 questions, I'll ask 10 questions, we take turns. Different subject matter, all TV related in some way. And so I don't know what the quiz is this week, but we've reached the point now where Chris Yates, you have 27 points. Mm -hmm. The question is, do I have enough points that I've maybe already beaten Chris? Am I well behind Chris? Can I catch up to Chris? And let me tell you, the tension on this quiz, Chris, is actually (laughs) to the point where you're ahead, you've got 27 points. I've got 20 points, which means oh. that if I can get seven or above, we've got a serious competition happening here. I'm just going to go write some harder questions. Hang on. <laughs> but yeah, this is incredible. Like this is a nail biter. I'm, I'm down for it. It really is incredible. All right. But Chris, let's before get we get to that nonsense, way, yeah, let's take care of the administration of talking about television. I want to kick things off with a look at the 1978 movie, The Right Stuff. Now, Chris, have you ever seen this film? I've seen the 1983 movie, The Right Stuff. Oh, 83. Why did I say 78? You know why I said 78? Because I was looking up the director of the film, Philip Kaufman, who was someone that I'd never really paid any attention to whatsoever. And then I realized he's the director of one of my favorite films, being 1978's The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh. Yeah. With Donald Sutherland. With Donald Sutherland and uh, Jeff Goldblum in a very early role. Mm. 
And I was particularly wow, like, I con- I'd connected the two because Jeff Goldblum is also in the right stuff in a sort of fairly small-ish role against Harry Shearer. Ugh, you've already blown my mind. I have anyway, seen the right stuff, of course, but not for a very, not for many years, mate. It's something that I've I've definitely wanted to revisit. Look, I'd never seen it, but let's talk about it in a moment after we listen to a clip. The issue here ain't pussy. The issue here is monkey. What? Us. We are the monkey. What Gus is saying is that we're missing the point. What Gus is saying is that we all heard the rumor that they want to send a monkey up first. Well, none of us wants to think that they're going to send a monkey up to do a man's work. But what Gus is saying is that what they're trying to do to us is send a man up to do a monkey's work. Us, a bunch of college-trained chimpanzees. Fucking A, Bubba. All right, so what Gus is saying is that we got to change things around here. He's saying that we are pilots. And we know more about what we need to fly this thing than anybody else. So what we have to do is to alter the experiment. What that comes down to is who's going to control this thing from here on out. What Gus is saying here is that we've got to stick together on this deal. So Chris, the right stuff. 1983, finally got the year right. Now, here's the thing. I knew that this film existed. I knew that people were really quite into this movie. But I never really sort of understood that the film was actually as watchable as it is. Like, I kind of always held it up as a fairly sort of lofty film, as though it's dealing with some real sort of American heroes. It's the Mercury 7 astronauts from, you know, real life. And so I kind of just thought that it was going to be a fairly sort of dry examination of what it takes to be able to, um, you know, uh, put yourself through, like, the um, physical stresses of uh, preparing to go into space and then just the act of going into space. And I just kind of thought that was it. But I didn't actually realize just sort of how human this is. Well, you know, there's, um, you know, toilet humor jokes. There's uh, like just jokes about like it's into relationship sort of jokes. Like it's a lot of dad humor in a lot of regards. But man, this film, like it really just sort of rockets. It goes for three hours. I didn't realize that we were like at the hour 50 mark by the time that we're already like hitting hour three. Like it was like it just keeps on going. And like you were there with it. Like this thing takes you. Two words that should have let you know how entertaining this romp would be straight off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Ed Harris. Look, I mean, Ed Harris is great, but I mean, like, not every Ed Harris film's a winner. Uh, no, of course that's not true. But every Ed Harris performance is a winner. I was just looking that, at the That is the true. It's, it's fantastic. You've got, you've got the, form, the, the two main actors who I'm sure are very famous. I don't really know that well. Charles Frank and Scott Glenn. Oh, Scott Glenn, I know. But the um the rest of the cast as you go down we got Ed Harris, uh, Lance Henriksen, Dennis Quaid, Sam Shepard, Fred Ward. It's huge. It's star-studded. So this is interesting for me that you've never seen this because you quite uh, I know most of the films from the classics from the eighties of the classic genre you've you're across and you consider you're very fond of. So I'm thinking of like The Untouchables and a couple of other movies around of that sort of era, even though that's a bit later, I guess. Yeah, so Untouchables is 87. So I mean, it's not that much later. It's like all of four years. Uh, yeah. The, it's the, the period th- you like a lot. Well, I mean, it's kind of because like I'm a kid of the 80s. So I kind of grew up with a lot of these films coming out on VHS. But I think the reason why this one may have just escaped me is because I don't think it was ever on VHS anywhere around the house. And I don't remember it really being on TV. Like it never became one of those TV staples. No. And so I think that's just how it sort of escaped me. But I've been meaning to watch it now for like the last sort of two or three years. It's been on that list of films I just really need to check out. Pulled the trigger on it the other day and like it's fantastic. And like it's, it's hard to really talk about the film being that much. So the story is about the Mercury 7 astronauts. So these are the guys that were the, were the first Americans into space. So they got recruited out of being uh, like test fighter pilots. And, you know, they've kind of got the sort of uh, brash gung-ho energy of test pilots and they put them into the space program. So they go through all the training. If you've ever seen a Simpsons episode, Deep Space Homer, most of the training jokes from that are just taken straight out of the right stuff. <laughs> and so you're watching this and it's much like watching, say, Citizen Kane or The Graduate after you've had years of Simpsons exposure because suddenly half of the jokes in the first few years of The Simpsons suddenly come alive and you finally get them. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of falls into that category. It's fun. Like there's no real complicated story beyond the fact that these guys are chosen. They go through training. Uh, there's obviously some um, disastrous aspects that happen with a couple of them, but by and large, it's very much about men who have, and I'm going to say this, the right stuff. Um, I was just uh, wondering whether this was the film where Ed Harris uh, sparked the greatest line in cinema history, not on my watch, but I had to do a little quick check, and it's actually was in Olo 13. 
where Ed uh, recited that amazing one, which was uh, 95, so a good um, sort of 12 years later. But um, and apparently it's one of those things where that isn't even actually what the quote was. It was, we've never lost an American in space and we're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. God, he was just a hero. Endlessly quotable. I guess the only reason I really wanted to talk about this this week specifically is just because, one, we talked about Space Force last week. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking about the fact that there just seems to be a lot of um, space things happening in the zeitgeist at the moment. And the right stuff, it just seems to be coming up in conversation a fair bit to the point that it's actually a right stuff remake TV show, which should be debuting on Disney Plus in the next couple of months. There is no release date yet for it, but it is coming. Mm. So you've got that coming. And I think people have just been talking about the right stuff movie quite a bit in recent months. So I thought, you know, the sign's right for me to watch it. And I specifically just wanted to mention it because, like, I'd never seen it before. And if you're like me and it's one of these films that you just kind of, you've put off because you're going to get to it at some point. Like, watch it, because it is surprisingly, exceedingly entertaining. And the film that I kept on thinking about while I was watching this was, Chris, have you seen the fairly recent film? And the fact that I said it's a recent film makes me think that you have not seen this. Uh, but it was <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, no, I haven't. But it is it is something I want to watch, believe, me, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, tonally, that is very similar. And, like, that just both sort of fall into that genre of, like, perfect dad movies. You know, where it's something... As a, per as a perfect dad, I feel like I need to be across it. <laughs> this is exactly it. Oh, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, but it's it's a perfect dad movie in that it's a film that's sort of about masculinity without being sort of overtly about, you know, masculinity. Like, it doesn't really sort of address, like, the themes of what it means to be a man going up into space. The men going up into space, and you, there's a jocular relationship between them all, and there's just, like, this sort of real, um, like, locker room energy that exists around this film. And it's fun. It just translates the film really nicely. And there's something about it. What sort of maybe really hit me this week is that we're watching all the stuff coming out of the US with Black Lives Matter. And I've been certainly thinking about the politics of that to a certain degree. And while that's certainly racial politics, like it wasn't lost on me while watching it. The fact that I don't think there's a single person of color anywhere here, which is pretty yeah. truthful for the time of, you know, who was selected to be part of the space program and whatnot. The film Hidden Figures obviously sort of changes that somewhat, but the entire mm. point of that movie was these were the hidden people out of the back room that didn't really get to engage in the totally. you know, main story that much. And so they're not present here. And, you know, this film is kind of reflective of kind of what was going on. So, like, there's that. But I was thinking about the politics of the fact that there weren't any people of colour or any sort of diversity beyond these very sort of white Christian guys who were going out into space. And then also the sexual politics of it. It doesn't really quite exist here. Like, the only sort of female characters are the wives of the characters, of the main guys. So, I mean, obviously there's a aspect taking place there. But I guess I maybe sort of tapped into the fact that it kind of felt like a throwback to the way that films used to get made. I mean, that's obviously for good reasons and bad reasons. And so I don't want to celebrate the fact that, uh, let's all think back to a time period where, you know, we got to watch movies without people of color or women in it. But there's something about the fact that, you know, we grew up watching those movies for the worse, but still there's just something that's kind of, I I'm trying to think of like how I'm really trying to talk about it. It's, it felt like something sort of primal watching this movie. Like it just kind of felt like old school cinema. Like that's not necessarily yeah. a good thing, but it just kind of triggered those things in me where I was like, oh, this is kind of how they used to make movies. And so I felt warm inside because of that while my brain was also like challenging the things that weren't there on the screen. Yeah, it's interesting watching a lot of this stuff back with uh, a modern uh, lens on it all. And, you know, th things have definitely changed uh, for the better. A lot of a lot of stuff has changed in the way that uh, films like that are made, though. Do you think of it as a pacing-wise, as a modern film would? I feel like there's a different pace to 70s movies and to 80s movies that we, you know, that some, somewhere around the 90s, they kind of... They, they changed in a big way. They sort of turned into these big, long, epic, serious things, or they would, or they became much shorter, you know, less serious things. I'm not sure. Ha, ha, like, I, did I was, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was kind of thinking about that as well, because I also watched the movie Unstoppable, which is the last film that Tony Scott made before he passed away in the early 2010s. So I think Unstoppable might have been 2012, maybe? Maybe it's 2010, it was thereabouts. Yeah, I don't even remember it at all. So this is, And I'm a big Tony Scott fan. Yeah, so this is Denzel Washington and Chris Pine on an unstoppable train. And the two of them are a train driver and a train conductor. Anyway, Chris, it's incredible. You need to watch this movie. It is so oh, much fun. Right. It's like all of 92 minutes, I think. Like, it's a very breezy watch. 
But I was thinking about like where Tony Scott sort of fits into exactly what you were talking about there. And so mm. I think when Tony Scott came along with Top Gun specifically, he kind of really changed the energy of filmmaking. And so you've got movies like The Right Stuff, which was a very leisurely paced exploration of masculinity. And then suddenly Top Gun comes along with characters who are not that dissimilar entirely to what we'd, what you could see here in The Right Stuff. But because of the sure. Tony Scott energy, things are a lot faster. There's like a bigger sort of soundtrack taking place over the top. There's less time to sort of think and luxuriate in a scene that's taking place. And I kind of feel that the Tony Scott sort of vibe of filmmaking has very much sort of intruded upon cinema where it was very dominant through the 90s into the 2000s. And I don't think it was ever really quite shaken. But while I was watching this, I was thinking about Ford versus Ferrari, which has a tone in it, which I think really takes it back to what they're doing here in films like The Right Stuff, where it kind of felt like it was just a bit more luxurious and you got to spend a bit more time with the machines and like that sort of ever-present masculinity that I've never been able to connect to. Because yeah. I don't know anything about cars or you know, yeah, machines yeah. No, or exactly. how things work. It's an interesting thing. And that's, uh, you know, sports and stuff, are, uh, you know, a lot of that's lost as well. Mm. On, on people on, on people <laughs> like us but yeah that, that's really interesting i'm definitely going to watch the right stuff again i love uh, revisiting things like that night you know uh, most of my memories i'm sure of it are coming from the simpsons and the like so that's a good one to put on my list with ford versus ferrari and unstoppable i'm gonna have quite the uh dad fest marathon yeah unstoppable and the right stuff perfect pairing like totally completely different, but also it's happened to so many similar things that are going on. Excellent. How, how do you watch? Is the right stuff available on anything uh, streaming or like at the moment? Or have you got to track it down old school style? Uh, actually, I watched this one on Binge a couple of days ago. Oh, cool. So definitely give that one a look. We're going to move on to something a lot more contemporary and things that actually have, you know, things other than just like white guys from the 1950s in it. Do you want to talk about our TV show, Rami? I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm totally pro-women getting to choose what to do with their bodies. I am. But I'm Muslim, so I'm just pro-us not having to make that choice. No, like, you're Muslim, I thought, in the way that I'm Jewish. Like, it's a cultural thing. I didn't know that you were Muslim-Muslim. Yeah. You drink. Religious Muslims don't drink. I actually don't drink. The other night we were out of the bar and you bought the entire table drinks. Yeah, but mine was a Coke. Tonight I asked you, do you want another glass of wine? You're like, no, I'm at my limit. Well, I was at my limit. My limit's just none, because I'm Muslim. Oh, okay. So you get girls drunk and stay sober so you can sleep with them. What? That feels kind of date rapey. That's not what I do. That's not date rapey. If anything, I'm taking alcohol out of the equation. I'm like a designated driver. I'm your, like a, like a friend. So why are you hiding everything from me? Look, Chloe, it's just, I've met girls who seem open-minded and then they're not. And you think that's me? No, I know, I just, I thought maybe you'd be into the idea of me being culturally different, but hate that I actually believe in God. I don't care that you're Muslim. I care that you've been lying to me. You know what's weird about that clip there, Chris? In the TV show, when you're actually watching it with the visuals of the two of them standing in a bathroom having this conversation, it plays very funny in a way that I don't know if yeah, the audio yeah. of it just did then. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, look, there's a lot of that going on with this show. I'm only, uh, I've, I think I've watched four episodes. No, I've watched three episodes now as I look at the, um, at the uh, synopses there. And um, gosh, it just does that all over the place. This is a really, really funny show. Um, and this show really is dealing with stuff in a, in a, in a very interesting way. So I guess, you know, to, to do some obvious comparisons, it's very much like, it, it very much comes across as, um, you know, I was thinking like the Aziz show. Master of Master of None. You know, which sees Aziz and Zari try to, like, uh, figure out his place in the world as an ethnic American, um, to use a ridiculous term like that. But th this goes this goes so much deeper than that, and it's not played as, as much for the for the laughs as Aziz would, but it's also um, it's extremely funny in a very subtle way. Um, there's, there's a great scene. That scene I loved where, you know, he's trying to, um, you know, he's... It, it, the character that he's with there is somebody that he's been seeing for a little while. Things are obviously starting to get a little bit serious and he's having this massive um, crisis about how to deal with it. And then realizes that the things that, um, you know, he thought would be appealing to this, um, to this white girl are not at all. And it falls apart. 
um, he goes from there to trying to, uh, you know, he has big chats with his uh, friends who are who are all Muslim men as well, and who have um, uh, who are in marriages that have been organised by their families for them, and they're talking about how much, you know, how much better that is and how great it is. Which is how fulfilling and so, it is. And he, um, yeah, so he goes to um, his parents and you know surprises them by asking him to be, you know, for, by asking to be set up with a family friend if they know one and can do all that kind of stuff, which of course makes his mother very happy his sister doesn't buy buy it at all and um just watching him straddle this line between the, the sort of contemporary it's it's in new jersey i think the contemporary like american city he's in with his friends and still even though he's primarily hanging out with his um with his family and family friends who are who are muslim americans as well he's still trying to figure out the best way to live his life you know like one of the things they explore a lot is how much of the, uh, the Muslim um, religion is about, uh, you know, it's 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 rules for life, and there's a lot of rules, and there's a lot of things you have to do. He talks about not drinking there, and you know, even just being able to, you know, he he thought he was doing the right thing by not making a big deal about the fact that he's not drinking, but the person, you know, that he was trying to impress with that actually saw it as a as a deception. And there's all these little, all these very interesting dualities. Some are really small, and some are really big. Well, it's him, trying um, to, it's him trying to find the boundaries of where his life is and how it intersects with other people. So, and like, this is specifically a theme of that very first episode. You've got two relationships through this first episode. You've got the relationship with that girl, who I think is only in that one scene. I don't think we see her in another scene in the I episode. I think so, yeah. Yeah. But you could, like, you've pretty much heard the entire relationship there, which is that, you know, he was he's trying to live a modern, everyday American life for a guy who's in his mid to late 20s. And he thinks that his friends are after a very specific type of thing from him. And by friends, I also mean girlfriends, sort of um, sexual conquests, because he's also a sexually active young man. But also you can tell, like, from the very beginning of the scene, where he's woken up in the middle of the night, found the condom that they'd been using, and he's running water through it to make sure that, you know, there's no leaks or anything, because, you know, he's kind of freaked out about how that would impact upon his religious and spiritual self, even though he's been perfectly happy to fulfill his physical self. And yeah. so you're sort of watching that and like that conversation sort of, well, she busts him doing it, which is what leads to the conversation we just heard. And so you can kind of hear that boundary where he's trying to set up a boundary so he can live a life to the way that he sort of wants to live things. But he also kind of has the guilt and sort of spiritual side that he actually wants to connect to, which is like this other that he sort of separates from the two worlds that he's created for himself. And then the back half of the episode, he goes out on a date with a woman that he thinks comes from that world and when it turns out that she's actually a sort of very um, sexually aggressive person and sort of is very much the sort of uh, cultural Muslim that, you know, uh, his girlfriend there had actually thought that he was, like, it kind of creates this real sort of juxtaposition as to what it is that he's expecting from them, where I think he'd always been in a position of, oh, this is how I'm establishing myself and everyone will see me in a very specific way. But then suddenly he's on the outer where he hasn't really been viewing people in a way that they actually are. Exactly. There's a great scene in the end of that where, oh, you know, where she tells him off basically when, you know, she, when they're trying to get it on or she's trying to get it on and he's like, you know, oh no, I'm not ready for this. I wasn't expecting this, you know, and she rightly is extremely uh, offended at the idea that, you know, she is being pursued as this mother and, um, you know, this, this kind of like holy uh, life partner kind of person rather than the, you know, the, the 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 woman that she is and the person that she is and wants to be and that you know he's tried to put her into a box um as as a solution for his kind of own uh you know trying to figure out his own life but yeah i mean he's been and fighting not to totally be put in a box himself over. and yet he's suddenly doing the same thing to her yeah it was, it was an awesome revelation i thought it was a fantastic first episode it, it, it really does sort of just get better from there for the, the the few i've seen as well there's an amazing character introduced into the next episode which is his uncle nasim who's you know and, yeah uh got these very great uh, another person who you know lives his life by a whole bunch of lessons and rules and um unfortunately just a lot of them ex happen to be extremely sexist and extremely racist um and uh he's tried to deal with his his very you know his very friendly his very uh accommodating uncle who's really trying to help him out who just happens to have very different things. So I really love the way it's going to obviously keep looking at these different, um, the, the characters and how they interact with the world around them. And it's, it's certainly not being done in a way that's, um, 
too preachy. It's not. It didn't feel preachy at all. It felt like he was getting lessons, but it certainly didn't feel like it was trying to tell the audience what to think, which I think is, uh, you know, a massive plus for it as well. And I think it sort of takes you on the takes you on the journey of trying to um, learn some stuff a, a yourself as well, you know, which to do that in a way that's amusing and kind of compelling to watch is a massive win, I think. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, you never really quite feel the show's being preachy, but really it's kind of letting you into a world which, I mean, me as a non-Muslim person, uh, like, I've got no real connection to a lot of these sort of very specific cultural issues that they're facing in terms of, like, a young guy trying to meld, like, the... Um, Western cultures in with the more sort of traditional uh, religious and cultural identity that he's developed through his own, you know, family life uh, with that that's happening external. Like, you know, you sort of hear about stuff, but like, I think the show actually does a really good sort of job of articulating it, which I've, I've never really quite seen it sort of put forward in the same way. And like, we were talking about Master of None, which is very much about that sort of cultural clash of the modern trying to sort of balance their life with a cultural background. But this is in that series is very much a man who wants to be part of that modern life. Whereas Rami, I think, is maybe putting it more from the position that within his like own internal world, he very much lives within this uh, like Muslim community, but he's also got things that he enjoys outside of that world that he wants to engage in as well. And he's trying to find a way into that as opposed to it being the other way around, which is how TV usually depicts it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, and, and his um wanting his, you know, sense of really wanting to figure this out, I found just really you know it's 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 amazing to watch and it, and it really felt like a kind of unique perspective that i haven't really seen um done very well before that's for sure now how many episodes of this have you seen only three so and we've just and i'm and i'm only on season one so season two has dropped and there's another uh 10 episodes there so there's 20 episodes altogether now so yeah so i think i've seen the first six episodes and it's been a few months since i've done it and for some i, like, I haven't watched episode seven i don't understand why because i genuinely love this show i think it is such an incredible tv oh, awesome. series uh so anyway that's uh the show is called rami uh, the uh actor comedian creator is rami um yusuf yeah and that's now on uh stan yeah stan in australia hulu in the u.s Now, Chris, something I haven't seen but I'm very keen to is the third and I believe final instalment of the Trip 2 series. If you think that we have been doing these trips for nearly 10 years, then I suppose the, in a macro sense, we've been on this odyssey for mm. 10 years. Yeah? Is it 10 years? Yeah, it is. Since the lakes. A bit of Richard Gear there. Just looking off. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. And you're looking more like him as well. That's good. No, I wasn't being serious. I was joking. Oh. You look nothing like him. Oh. <laughs> My God, you lapped that compliment up, didn't you? Look at that. Well, it's not unreasonable. I'm not... I'm not I mean, I'm wearing my ears reasonably well. Yeah, but in no way do you resemble Richard Gere. OK, I don't resemble You look like Richard a great Gere. Steve Coogan. Because you're looking too And effect. I'm happy with that. Yeah, you More clutched at Richard Gere. I look better as I get older. Lots yes, of women do. say yes, that. Yes, you do. Lots of women well, say I'm that. Well, a man who's going to say it as well. I'm saying it. You look better older. Oh, thank you. You were unpalatable as a young man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true. so Chris. You very much was. I've seen the first one, and while I didn't see the second one, I still know exactly what I'm up for with the uh, with this third installment. Uh, does it live well, up in terms of... the fourth, Dan. It's the fourth. I've, I've missed one in yes. the middle. Where, where, have we we had had the... where have we taken trips to? So there was the trip... The trip, which was, I don't know, I can't remember where the first trip was. Maybe just around the UK. Yeah, I think it was just around like, the yeah. Yeah, the second series was the trip to Italy, then the trip to Spain in 2017, and now the trip to Greece. Okay. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, Dan, I mean, you know how big of a Coogan fan I am and a Rob Bryan fan, and, you know, they're both kind of uh, an acquired taste, more probably Coogan more than Rob Bryan. Anyone can have a laugh at Rob Bryan, I think. Um and obviously, Coogan's had insane amounts of success. So obviously, a lot of people like him. But he's still not for everybody. But one of, one of the reasons I wanted to uh, really talk about this is because as a massive fan of the show, of, of the act, of the performers, um, you know, it's easy for me to just kind of like get swept up in what they're doing and enjoy it. And I could pretty much watch them endlessly do anything. But this is the first one I've watched as a movie as opposed to the TV series. So you okay. So H... Each series has been a TV series first and then it's been edited down to a shorter film. 
Um, and yeah, for the other ones, I've watched the entire series, but for whatever reason, this one, I thought, no, I'm just going to watch the film instead. And gosh, it was a really, it's, it probably does work better as a film. I think it, it was funny when I first, um, heard that they were going to cut the first one down. I was like, Oh my God, how are you going to lose? You're going to lose so much great stuff. These guys are geniuses. Um, everything they say is gold. And I, I feel like I, not everybody feels that same way. So I could understand that the, the want to cut it back to a, um, to a film. And it just, it did really, really, I mean, I found it incredibly satisfying to watch as a film. Um, the premise, of course, is that uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon are playing themselves fictional, slightly, I would say, minusculely fictionalized versions of themselves. And they get paid by the Observer, a newspaper, to go and write rev uh, restaurant reviews and a little tour diary around the various uh, countries that they're sent to. So the basic the basic setup is it's weird. I, it's a weird kind of mix between you get a lot of the same sort of stuff you would get in a travel show or a cooking show where you get them talking about some of the sites that they're visiting. You get them talking about the meals. You, you even see shots in the kitchen. You see the kind of um, chef's table food porn shots that we're used to these days where you're making a little bit of food um, and all that kitchen stuff. So it has that weird kind of, is this a food show vibe about it? But then you get you know to it and it's just these two ad-libbing over conversations and doing impressions and stuff over, over meals basically. But then there's this weird thread of like autobiographical fictionalized versions of their real life personas as well. So that um, you get to, you get to sort of follow along with Steve Coogan's insecurities and trying to break through America um, in the duration of the season, him talking to his fictional agent at one point is Ben Stiller playing the role of his fictional agent. Um, you get a, quite a few other staples from British TV comedies of the last 10 years popping up in other fictional roles. So it's this really like, it, it sits itself across so many different kind of areas for something so simple that um, I really find it hard to kind of, you know, it's almost unique, I would say, in the way it, in the way it goes about doing this kind of stuff, especially as a film, as a TV series, you know, there's a lot of other things you can compare it to with, you know, of course, Curb Your Enthusiasm and things where people play varying degrees of, of fictionalized versions of themselves. But this, watching it as a film, it really felt, it, it felt very strange and in a good way, I felt. Yeah, so I remember watching the first one. So I remember watching it as a TV series first, and then I watched the movie edited of it afterwards. And I felt that there was something sort of great about the serialized nature of it. Like you're just spending 20 minutes like every like week or so with like two friends. You're just going on like sort of jaunty adventure around the place. I mean, adventure seems yeah. like a too grand a word for what it is that these guys <laughs> yes. are really doing. But like when I watched it as a movie, it just kind of felt like it was almost like austere to a certain degree. Like it kind of yeah. gave it like the sort of greater sense of importance than I think this really deserved, which was a intimate story with just these two guys. And like, I've been really reluctant to want to watch these as movies, but my access to this as a series has been limited, like for the last 10 years. So I haven't really been able to watch this when it's been released. And there's always been the movies around, but because I didn't care for it as much as the movie the first time, I've been hesitant about watching it that way. Well, it's interesting, hey, because as a movie, you would never, you would never make this thing as a movie. I don't think like there's nowhere near enough plot, there's nowhere near enough story, and there's nowhere near enough kind of um, character development or what, whatever you would have. You have to have so much of a presumed knowledge going into it. You have to know enough about these guys. Like you couldn't really make it as a movie. To so, so to see it sort of edited back into a movie, I found yeah, I think is is really interesting, and it's one of the things that leads that sort of uniqueness to it. I think I'll have to go and. Um, rewatch i'll watch it as a series as well because i'm sure there's absolute you know moments of absolute gold that have been left out um as there always is uh but um although there is some question around that considering that one of two of the scenes in this movie are just like them both just trying to annoy each other with doing high falsetto singing and uh, <laughs> it got to the point where i was asked to um I was asked to please continue watching that program in another room if I was indeed going to do it <laughs> by the person that has to live with me, um, which did cause some friction. But uh, we got past it and I watched it all and I watched the remainder of the bedroom. So it's just like, it's this funny thing where, yeah, if it was going to be made as a film, there's no way you would make it as a film. And um, Well, you so wouldn't be able to get the funding for it to begin with, I'm sure. Yeah, like it would just be a really hard sell yet to, for some reason, it works 
when they do it back. So um, I don't know the exact reason why, and I don't know how this is. I think it's just a film on Sky. Like, I think it's a film on TV, right? As opposed to it being at least this year because of what the state of the world, there certainly wasn't a theatrical release, but I'm not sure if previous incarnations did. I think the trip to Italy did the second one. Well, but all the but films I'm... have been released in cinemas in Australia, but I don't know about their UK release. Yeah. Right. I didn't realize that. And I'm sure that's been the case in the U S as well and everywhere else. So outside, I think pretty much outside of the UK, it's seen as a movie series, but within the UK, it's seen as a TV show. Yeah. Wow. That's really, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. The first season was in England, by the way. And it, and it focused a little bit more on the food, I think in the first season, and they were still sort of trying to figure out how they were going to go about it. But yeah, Michael Winterbottom's directed every episode, which is interesting as well, considering, I guess he just goes on the trip with them and they figure it all out from how they go. And there's some other great, um, yeah, as I said, there's some other great people that pop, that pop up um, that you will recognize. But yes, overall, thoroughly rewarding. It was unfortunate to see um, Rob Brydon, uh, the photo of Rob Brydon in the headlines today uh, over the decision of the BBC to uh, remove Little Britain from their um, uh, from their programming, I think indefinitely, because uh, Rob Brydon was actually in a lot of the scenes um, with the offending characters, the worst of the worst characters that, that appeared in that show, um, <laughs> yeah. which was a bit of a reminder of how long, you know, Rob Ryan's been around for a long time. He's incredibly funny. Like, I, I don't know if you watch um, Would I Lie to You or if you've seen any of those panel shows. He's been a panel staple for a long time now. Uh, he's, and he's just, he's, you know, he's incredibly witty and funny and that comes across in a big way. And Coogan, not so much, but you can see him really craft the the um self-effacing uh side of it and turn that into something that works very funny the same way he does with basically all of his characters who you know we revel in their flaws which are detailed very accurately okay well you've inspired me i'm definitely going to go back and first of all rewatch the trip because it's been 20 years since i would have seen that yeah but yeah i think i'm just going to spend the next couple of weeks luxuriating around you know Watching people eat delicious food while I'm eating TV snacks on the couch and dream of being somewhere far away with your old pal me. I like to imagine it's you and me, Dan, sitting in the restaurant there talking about um, uh, the A team and things. Maybe maybe not quite the uh, the, the Greek literature of our um, learned Oxford educated Coogan uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um. But you know, we we still fine. We can still talk about the Golden Girls while we're in France. Yeah, I've got some very firm opinions right now about the remake of Magnum PI. Oh, see, this is perfect. Perfect opportunity for us to do that. Perhaps we'll turn it into a podcast. Um, <laughs> so, boy, boy, could we dream? The trip to Greece uh, out now on all the things. I don't know where. Indeed. Uh, now we've got two bits of business to take care of. Uh, first of all, I do want to express some thoughts on Magnum PI 2018. <laughs> I think it's been around for now two years. Uh, no, I've got no intention to talk about it on the podcast beyond the fact that I think it might actually be good. Whoa. I mean, it's trash TV. Because I, I always had an issue saying that, oh, well, it's just not quite as good as the original Magnum PI, like in terms of the structure and what they were doing with it. But I actually think it might be on par. Like it's... It's perfectly fine. If you're willing to accept the original Magnum PI, you need to accept 2018 you know, to 20 Magnum PI. Anyway, this that's all I have to say on that matter. The second thing is I wanted to give a bit of a plug to a album that you can pre-order right now. And Chris, I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced, but I believe that you've got something to do with it. If people remember a band from, let's say, the early 2000s, Dollar Bar, Chris, yeah. I believe you may have yeah. some sort of, you know, knowledge about this. I believe that they have reunited and they have an album coming out in July, which you can pre-order as of a couple of days ago. And I think that people should go and do that. There's a vinyl that you can purchase. There's a digital download you can get from Bandcamp. I think the digital is like 10 bucks. Vinyl is 20 that something. right? Yeah. yeah. Probably a bit more, 30 probably for the vinyl. Yeah. Now, if you don't know Dollar Bar, this is a band from, and Chris, what year did Dollar Bar start? 19, uh, I believe they started in 1998. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't join the band until the year 2000. Yeah, but I believe that you might have had something to do with like their best-known single, Cute Girls Have the Best Diseases, which we're going to listen to a little bit of. Right. This is all very unexpected, Dan. If 
people don't know Dollar Bar, uh, according to Spotify, fans of Dollar Bar may also like Custard, Arbuckle, the Undead Apes, who I don't know. Do you know the Undead Apes? I think they're very good. Brisbane but, punk band. Very good. Uh, John Lee Spider, uh, Turnpike, Vegas Kings, uh, Del Toro. You know, a lot of these are pretty good bands. So I guess that Dollar Bar band might be all right as well. I thought I'd like to highlight it and say that if people do want to, you know, connect with one Chris Yates and his musical stylings, mm. maybe check out the new album that's coming out in a couple of weeks' time. I'd like to point, draw the attention of, of the Always Be Watching crew to the track. Uh, we had a track called um, Wayne and Schuster, which was written by Dale and the Bear, which was a ode to not just the um, Canadian comedians, Wayne and Schuster, um, <laughs> from the uh, 60s 70s but also strong ins a, um, strong inspirations uh, for one norm mcdonald apparently yes very strong inspiration for the one um and also it was it was more of written as a love letter to the abc television programs that we grew up watching um in around that time slot the sort of six o'clock time slot and um dale who wrote the song did an amazing job of cramming in about references to about 45 different shows without i don't think saying any of their names explicitly except for wayne and schuster and um there's a video clip that's got like a nice little collage of all of the various television programs it was a it was a beautiful time to be a to be a kid in the um in well no it was terrible because we only had the one channel but it was but it was fun to be able to watch all these that that, that we, we got educated in so much amazing television in that sort of six o'clock pre the 7 p.m news slot on the abc uh you'll all get a People of our vintage will get a kick out of that. But anyway. It was on a 2015 album, Hot Ones. That's correct. Yeah. And people can find all the albums there on Spotify. I don't know if the new album's cropping up on Spotify, but they can buy it on Bandcamp and you know, put $10 into yes, the local music economy. It's not officially out yet, but I think it's July 10 is the release date. You can pre-order the um, vinyl now. Excellent. Very odd, Dan. Anyway, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Putting you on the spot. Putting me on the spot. So anyway, let's do this quiz. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. As I read the questions now, I th feel like I probably should have made it a bit easier for you. But let's see how you go. If you suck, I will be the winner. So, I mean, it, it all kind of works pretty well. Okay, so based on the math earlier, I need to get seven or more questions right. <laughs> it's not looking good, I'll tell you. As I scared the questions now, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, what's the theme? I Hit me. I've underestimated you and overestimated you before, so we'll see where we're at now. Okay, the so theme is before we did this podcast, I went back and listened to every other quiz that we'd done so I could tally up the points. And well, it seems like there's this ongoing theme with Chris saying, you're not going to get this one, and then I get those ones, but all the really easy ones I have no idea about. <laughs> Maybe you get a you get a, this will be a walk in the park for you then. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, screwed. Today's theme, Dan, mm. is robots from television. Ooh, I've got a PhD in robots and television. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some, yeah. All right, here we go. Should we, should we get started? Okay, let's do it. In the 1980s television program, Small Wonder, the robot is called Vicky. What does Vicky stand for? Oh God, I'm going to have to- give you a clue there. I'll give you, the only clue I'm going to give you is that Vicky is spelt um, not traditionally, her, her name is spelt, or its name is spelt V-I-C-I. -I. Like one of those I's is going to be interface. But beyond that, like computer is probably, <laughs> I, I can't. I could have told her, I, look, I knew her name was Vicky, but that's as far as I could have gone. It was the voice input child identicant. Of course. There's no way, it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, come on, question two, let's okay. do this. All right, referencing back to the aforementioned British TV show Time Block we used to get on the ABC. In the British TV show Metal Mickey, what snack did M Metal Mickey eat? And for a bonus point for his catchphrase, you can if you if you if you can't tell, yeah, you can I'll give you two if you get both and I'll still give you one if you just get his catchphrase. I've never seen Metal Mickey. How have you never seen Metal Mickey? I don't know. It's one of these things where all of my peers always talk about Metal Mickey and I just, I, I never did. It just didn't happen. All right. Well, now's your inspiration to go and check it out. Um, Metal Mickey's favorite snack were atomic fizz bombs. Of course. And his catchphrase was boogie boogie. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to incorporate that in my day-to-day -day life. I thought these were all television questions, but I've actually got a movie one in here. Sorry about that. Oh, Robots for movies and television. <laughs> um, a clear inspiration for the robot C-3PO. What is the name of the robot from Metropolis? 
Oh, crap. Okay, so at this point, with the fact that I can't answer, it means that I need to get every other question after this one correct. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be brutal. A a cue is it was the name of one of our favorite co-workers from time past. Not a robot name at all. Anthony? And it's a... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's Maria. Okay. But Anthony will be stoked. Um, in the TV series Futurama, what's the name of the robot? No, I'm just kidding. That would be too easy. Damn it. What were, <laughs> what were the robot vendors' first words in Futurama? Ooh. Another clue. Do you want a clue? <laughs> yeah, a clue. clue me. It's, it was also one of a few catchphrases yeah like you're gonna get this i'll give you some thinking music it's gonna have something to do with my ass that's two out of the six words yes five words oh what did he say Uh... oh crap i just lost the quiz this is a You're dark so moment close. for me. He said, bite my shiny metal ass. Bite my shiny metal ass. See, this is a shame with you, with you knowing because, um, you know, now you've got no inspiration there. Keep going. All right. No, this is it. Megazord is a giant robot from which kids TV franchise? Oh, that'd be the Morty, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we know where we're pitching. Yeah, yeah. I should have, should have thought of a little bit more about that. Uh, there's a few more trick questions, though, so there's no okay. way you would have got it. Um, Hit me. What is the name of the robot from the original Lost in Space TV series? Uh, I want to say it's Robbie the Robot. Have I got my robots confused? That's the one from... It was a trick question. He's just called the robot. Ah, crap. Which one's Robbie the Robot? He's from... We'll get there, Dan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what planet do the Daleks come from? Oh God! Uh, I also know next to nothing about Doctor Who, other than the fact that I just don't really care for it at all. Um, <laughs> they, I, I do actually know the answer to this, though. It's um, Daleks from. I feel it might be a trick question. You want to say it's Dalek, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, it's not right. It's, it's called Scaro, but that's okay. Scaro? No, um, wouldn't have known that. Man, I'm going to get RSI pressing this button so much. (laughs) This is a good one. In which 70s, in which late 70s, early 80s sitcom did Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet Ah. guest star as a different robot? Let me read that again. In which late 70s, early 80s sitcom did Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet guest star as Chuck the Robot? In what way did he guest star? Was it just like the same prop? Or did they actually acknowledge that he was Robbie the Robot? No, he was, was, it a was plot the aspect? exact same robot, but he had a different name. Yeah, okay. they must have found him in the... Um... You, you, you're focusing on the... You're missing the... You're getting, you know, messed up there. The the, the key part of that in is in which late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I feel I know the answer to this one. But, like, part of me just wants to answer that as Taxi purely because of the weird Lassie the dog thing from a couple of weeks ago. But I kind of feel the answer and like, it feels obvious to me that it's Mork and Mindy. Ding. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, I thought for sure there is no way you were going to ever possibly get that question right. But there you go. It seems right to me because like from the seventies going to the early eighties, like the only sci-fi sitcom of the time was Mork and Mindy as far as I'm aware. Mm, it was probably a, a bit of an outlier then. Yes. Mm. Who is Jake and Finn's robot slash video console friend from Adventure Time? Look, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that he stars in the new Adventure Time like movie or special that they've got launching on HBO soon. So I'm going oh, really? to have to, you know, I'm going to have to embrace the crickets. <laughs> And cue up the sad trombone. He's called Bebo. Uh, right on. All right, here's the last question. You're currently on one. No, two. Two points. God. I'll give you half for, for saying shiny ass. <laughs> um, two and a half. You're very generous. In The Simpsons, Mr. Burns has a robotic celebrity in 
as part of his mansion's defenses. Who is this robotic celebrity? That robot is 1980s fitness guru Richard Simmons. Wait, you don't, you, you don't have to. I'm already on this one. <laughs> <laughs> just party just sweetening it um, <laughs> alright Dan well that's a, a big three and a half but I'm afraid <sighs> Chris Yates I had to get you halfway there to the points you needed you beat me by three and a half points <laughs> I'm so by three and a half. my terrible low scoring out of 50 turned out to be slightly less terrible than your low score out of 50 okay and I have decided what the prize will be yeah <laughs> Because I won, I'm, that's interesting way to decide. What that's exactly is. it. Well, it only really became apparent this week. Uh, you, sir, will get a digital copy of the new Dollar Bar album, which is called... <laughs> Pyrrhic Victory. Thank Pyrrhic you very Victory. much, Dan. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I, I look forward to you purchasing it. I like to give. Um, okay, so we're going we're gonna to re-jag up this um, quiz for next week. Look, I don't know if it'll be next week, ideas. but I also have some ideas. We'll confab after this. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. But there will be more quiz coming. All right. And until that time, I can lord it over you that I am, in fact, <laughs> more of a fan of television than you are. You are the quiz master. <laughs> now, I would like to point out that if I had not given you 10 points as part of a bonus giveaway... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possibly could have won, but, you know, it is what it is. We're we all make decisions we regret, Dan. That's part of life. Indeed. So I doff my hat to you. I'm Thanks not wearing a hat, nor would I ever use the word doff in real life. Um, I, I consider it doffed anyway. Let's get out of here. We've got a whole lot of TV to watch, and I feel mm. that you, we're the people to do that. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. So let's do that. We'll be back next week. If people have enjoyed this for whatever reason, uh, you can find more on alwaysbewatching.com. There's a newsletter that you can subscribe to. There's a Facebook page that you can go and talk about TV at. And more importantly, there is this podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends about it. Tell your friends' friends. Like, just get the word out there. People want to see it. Absolutely. We've got a fancy new logo that came into effect last week sometime. Beautiful. I've got to go. <laughs> Dad, me too. Okay. People to see. It has been a pleasure. Folks, do. this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week with more. Mm.